we've been in a love series uh, for the last few weeks, but we thought we'd do a little standalone um, since this is kind of a, a transition time of our students are going off to the next chapter in their lives, parents were letting go, or we might be celebrating that, but it's a transition. So we wanted to talk about courage today, and so if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 5, um, and if not, no worries, we have a handout for you, and it'll be on the big screen, Acts chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 27, so I'm going to read the scripture, I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into this today. All right, Acts chapter 5, verse 27, here we go. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. He said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis, who appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from the house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, God, I thank you, Lord, uh, that we have an opportunity to gather as a church family and to open up your word together. And God, may your spirit fill this place. May the distractions that we have that are going on in our lives, God, would you kind of tune them out? Would you give us, God, eyes to see? Would you give us, God, ears to hear? Would you, God, give us hearts 
that are open. And God, through this talk, Lord, most of all, God, would you give us courage, godly courage, to, to live out and obey what you are calling us to do. God, may you speak through me for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So church, I have a little bit of a, a confession to make. When I was uh, growing up, my parents, I know growing up as a pastor's family, you think we're all holier than thou, we were allowed to watch R-rated movies, okay? And now, our parents didn't want us to watch, you know, anything that had, like, sexuality or nudity. But, you know, if there were, like, gunshots, people's getting exploded, heads falling off, no big deal. We could watch it, right? And, uh, and so that's how I was introduced to Braveheart at, like, the age of 10. Anyone, anyone love Braveheart in here? Yes, it is, like, the movie of movies. It is a man's movie. It doesn't have to be a man's movie. It's a great movie, right? And we love that movie because of William Wall. And William Wallace, man, when I watched that movie, I was, I was just blown away. I wanted to be like William Wallace, right? I wanted to have the face paint. I wanted to ride on the horse. I wanted to have the awesome sword and, and charge into battle and, and just look at the eye of the enemy and not be scared at all and, and be a leader, a courageous leader of conviction that does not waver whether it is advantageous or not. And when we watch that movie of Braveheart and William Wallace, I mean, come on, that's, that's, we watch it because we want to be like that. We want to be the hero. We want to be the brave one. And what's so awesome about that movie, remember at the end where he's, he's uh, been betrayed and he's in prison and that, that the princess or queen comes to him and knows that he's going to be humiliated in his death, gives him poison as a way out. And he drinks the poison and then he spits it out. Because he refuses to compromise and die a cowardly death. And then the torture scene. He's being tortured and the, the executioner says, hey, just save mercy and we'll end it all now. And he doesn't say mercy. He's tortured more and the, they say, hey, if you, if you say mercy now, then we'll end it. We'll end it. The pain will be over. He doesn't say it. And then more torture, right? And the end, he said, they say, if you say mercy now, it'll be over. And then William Wallace, we all know what he says, he cries out, freedom, even at the end of his life. And when we see that example of courage, of, of not wavering from your principles, of sticking to your convictions, we want to be like that. We want to be, when the pressure's on, when it's game seven, when the cards are stacked against us, we want to be the person that comes through. We want to be the strong one. We want to be the person that does not waver despite any circumstance. And yet, church, if we're being honest, if we're being honest, we're a lot more cowardly than what we want to believe. We talk a good game. We believe a good game. But when the pressure comes, we don't take the road less traveled. We take the easy route. When the pressure comes, when the opposition comes, we, we so easily fall back. I, I remember when I was in uh, seventh grade, uh, I got into this kind of, I was talking trash to this guy in my art class. 
and we were friends, but you know how boys are. You start talking trash, and then it kind of escalates, and it's like, I'm going to beat you up. No, I'm going to beat you up. No, whatever. We're meeting after school, right? And so it's like, yeah, awesome. And so after, you know, we get, class is over. It's, say it's third period, and I just thought, oh my, like, what have I done, right? Like, I just committed myself to a fight. This guy's like a hockey player, I'm like a Pfizer. I don't know if you know Pfizer's. Like, we have these, like, long, skinny arms. Like, we're good at certain things, but not when it comes to, like, physical things, okay? Like, I've been in CrossFit for, like, a year and a half. I can, I, I can only do, like, one pull-up, okay? Like, and I was thinking, like, this kid is going to just, like, annihilate me. This kid's going to crush me. And so I'm like, there's, I can't, I, I got to run. And so I remember after school, and we were supposed to meet at the tennis courts, and like, I'm like, I'm not going there. I'm going home, right? And the guy catches me. He's like, Pfizer, what are you doing, right? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Dear Lord, help, right? <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm about to get the snot beaten out of me. And then praise God. It was like an angel. My theater teacher saw what was happening and rescued me from imminent doom, okay? But I remember being a coward. I remember talking a good game and acting like I was all that and strong. But when the opportunity came, I got scared. And church, we need courage. Because we, we don't know what's ahead. Our seniors don't know what college is going to be like. We might think we know what's like. We have our homes. We have our jobs. We don't know what tomorrow is. We don't know what cards will be dealt. And because of that, we need courage. And this passage in Acts chapter 5 is all about courage. And what we're going to see is we're going to see this, just what courage looks like, what courage is. We're going to see where it comes from. We're going to see what we should really be courageous about. And then finally, we're going to learn where we get the courage that we so desperately need. And so first off, let's ask the question, what is courage? What is real courage? What does it look like? You know, um, many of you probably heard the news or saw the emails. I've been, uh, my wife and I, we are moving to Washington, D.C. My wife got her dream job. Um, at a global non Christian nonprofit fighting against modern day slavery all across the world. And so we felt God kind of leading us there. And so I, we are, for us, we're in this season of kind of, all right, we're going into the unknown. Like we have no idea what's next. And so I've been reading Acts because Acts is really just what you see is the early church and they have no guarantees, they have no idea what's ahead of them, and yet they're just courageous. And so the context of Acts is Jesus died, he resurrected, he spent 40 days with the disciples, he ascends to heaven, he pours out his spirit to the church, and we see the church multiplying. We see the church growing. We see people coming to know Christ day after day after day, and the movement is happening. And Peter, the leader of this movement, who Christ is kind of commissioned to be the leader, He's leading this, and him and the apostles, they get arrested, and they're thrown into jail for preaching the gospel, for telling people about Jesus. And then that night, an angel comes, and they uh, opens up the jail cell. Now, if, just think about this. If you are miraculously rescued from people who want to imprison you and kill you, my guess is you and I, we would run, we would get the heck out, okay? We would go as far away as we could, but the disciples, you know what they do? They go to the same place where they are arrested and continue to preach the gospel. 
the Jewish leaders, the elders, the rulers, the Sanhedrin, they come in. And to their shock, they see the same dudes who they arrested the night before preaching in the courts. And they're furious. And so they arrest them again. They bring them into the temple courts. And they say, what are you guys doing? We ordered you not to preach the gospel. We ordered you not to cause these commotions, these riots. What are you doing? And Peter, who's representing the apostles, he knows very well that this Sanhedrin has the ability, the authority, the influence, and the power to end their life right then. He knows that if he is courageous in this moment, his life could be over. But what does he say to them? He says in verse 28, we must obey God rather than human beings. He looks the rulers and the authorities in the eye. He says, I do not care what you think. You are not my God. I live for an audience of one. And my God, who became a man, who lived the life that we couldn't live, live, who died the death that we should have died, who was risen again, he has commissioned us to proclaim the gospel, to tell people that there is hope, to tell people there is forgiveness of sins, to tell people that there is life and life abundantly. That is the man I am following. That is the man I am obeying. I have been called to follow God and not man. Church, that's what courage is. Real courage is sticking to your God-given convictions in the midst of opposition. Real courage is choosing to do what God has called you to do, even when it's not advantageous to you. There's a cultural critic in the New York Times, I believe his name's Walter Anderson, and he's, he may, had this piece about today's leaders. And he says, today's leaders are stars and not heroes. He says, stars are followed by crowds. Heroes walk alone. Stars consult focus groups. Heroes consult their conscience. And you see, that's what Peter did. He knew what was popular. He knew what the people wanted. He knew that it would, if he said that statement, it would not be in his best interest, but he said it anyway. In fifth grade, in Sunday school, growing up at this church, we had to say this saying all the time by my Sunday school teacher, Ben Bono. Ben Bono was an awesome guy. He walked with us for so many years, and uh, he had this kind of dryness about him, kind of like Ben Stein, if you remember Ben Stein. And every Sunday school, every Sunday, he would have us repeat this. What is popular is not always right. And what is right is not always popular. Say it again, class. What is right or what is popular is not always right. What is right is not always popular. And we would say that every single Sunday. And he would drill that into our heads. But church, that is what courage is. It's choosing to do what is right rather than what is popular. In one of the greatest literature novels of all time, Harry Potter, in the Goblet of Fire, 
Don't laugh. I'm serious. <laughs> in the goblet of fire, after Voldemort rises back to power, everyone's scared, and Harry understands the responsibilities on him to fight Voldemort, and he doesn't want to. And Dumbledore goes to Harry, and he says, Dark and difficult times lie ahead, Harry, and soon you must choose between what is right and what is easy. Courage is choosing what is right and what is not easy. Just imagine for a second if Peter in this moment did what was easy. I mean, think about what's happening. The church is growing, the church is multiplying, the church is expanding, and here's this critical point where the leader, the, the, the person who's been given this movement, Peter, is on the line. What if he did what was easy in that moment? What if he said, you know what? I don't want to get my head chopped off today. I don't want to spend another night in prison. I'm tired of the hatred. I'm tired of the criticism. I'm tired of the hardships. Fine, Sanhedrin, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'll just put my head down. I'll go along to get along. What if that happened? I believe it's quite possible if Peter did what the Sanhedrin said, we might not be here today. I mean, do you guys understand that we are the products of people? We are the recipients of brave Christians who are courageous. The church grew because of courage. The church grew because Peter said we must obey God rather than man. The church grew because in the early days of the church, people would give up their babies. Say they had a girl, they didn't want a girl. They would leave the baby out in the forest to be eaten by wild animals. And Christians would come in and raise those kids as their own. When Christians were being arrested and executed, Christians were knowing, known for praying for their executioners during the execution itself. When people were walking into the, to Jerusalem or to these big cities, when Christianity was illegal, they would, they would scare people by executing Christians on the side of the road. And while they're being executed, people would hear Christians singing songs of joy. We are here because of brave people who had the courage to follow what God called them to do. You and I are here because someone had the courage to walk with you, to disciple you through the peaks and through the valleys of your life. You are here because someone had the courage to tell you that you cannot do this life alone, that you need a savior. You are here because my dad had the courage to start his, this church. Because other people had the courage to rise up and believe in a mission, to believe that God wanted to do something in Collin County. We're here because of courageous people. And we need that courage. We need that courage. We need that courage in our relationships. We need that courage in our own walks of life. Some of you have been running away from your problems for the longest of time, and it's everybody's fault but you, and you are so afraid to look within, and you need the courage to take responsibility. Some of you parents, you are scared because your kids are 
are leaving. And you can't, you can't kind of have that control and that influence that you had during elementary and middle school and high school. And you need the courage to let go and trust that God loves your kid more than you love your kid. That God has known about your kid more than you've known about your kid. And that God knows what your kid needs more than what you know what you think your kid needs. Some of you in here and God has given you hopes and God has given you dreams and God has given you visions and convictions to do great things for this kingdom. To join in and advance his kingdom and yet you keep putting it off. You keep saying, I don't know enough. Oh, you keep saying, it's not the right time. You keep saying, well, I, I want my kids to have this type of environment, not this type of environment. But church, God does, not God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. We need courage. We need courage. And so the next question is this. Where does this courage come from? What's the source of this type of courage? What's the origin of this type of courage? Where, do, where does this courage of being able to stick with your convictions in the midst of opposition, where does this come from? And Peter says it in his speech. He says, hey, we must obey God rather than human beings. And then verse 30, it says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Circle that word, prince. Peter says Jesus is our, in this passage, he's our prince and savior. We know what savior is, that Jesus is our savior. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we could be counted as righteousness of God, that we could be viewed at as forgiven, as holy. He paid the price for our sins. He saved us from our sins. But that word prince is actually a very unique word. Uh, I wasn't really great at Greek. I got mostly C's in Greek. Um, but uh, I believe the Greek word is archegos, and literally it's archego, and it's only found about four times in the New Testament. And literally what it means is it means it can be translated as captain, or leader, or champion, or, or even hero. And it's that same word that was used to describe some of the Greek gods. For example, Hercules was called an archego, was archego. He was that hero, that captain, that leader who faced down the gods, who fought against what was wrong, who did what was right. And what commentators say about this, by using that word, what, they, what some commentators say is that Luke is trying to connect with his Greek audience and saying that Jesus is like these other gods in a sense, that he's similar but different. You know, what's interesting in Greek culture, you know, how we raise our kids when our kids are struggling, we give them like self-esteem classes, we give them therapy sessions, we give them like participation trophies, right? Um, uh, which I got a lot of because I never won. But, um, but in Greek culture, they didn't do that. What they did instead was they read stories to their kids of heroes, of champions who were courageous who battled through adversity. And so what commentators say is that they're saying, hey, what Luke is trying to do here is try to use this word to kind of connotate an image of thinking that Jesus is on par, but he's actually greater than these leaders. 
Of course he's similar to any hero in the sense that he's the one that stormed the gates of hell for a heavenly cause. He's the one that conquered evil. He's the one that defeated death. He's the one who was that soldier who slayed evil so that we could prosper. He's similar in that, but he's, he's actually extremely different as well. You see, Jesus is unlike any other leader that you and I know. I mean, think about the hero stories that we like. Wonder Woman just came out. Wolverine movie just came out. Spider-Man's coming out. And it's all kind of the same thing, right? Um, It's all about, you know, Peter Parker. He gets bit by a spider. He has these superpowers. And now it's it's all these stories of these, these heroes who are discovering their power, right? Like in Harry Potter, it's like, you're a wizard, Harry. It's like, what? You know? And it's all about, like, discovering this power that they had inside themselves. Well, with Jesus, what makes Jesus different is that he knew he had power. He knew he was God. He knew like, he, he spoke creation into existence. He said, earth, be creative. And it created, right? I mean, he had that type of power. But what made Jesus unique was he gave that power away. The immortal became mortal. The invincible became vulnerable. The God became man. And died on the cross, died a sinner's death, a beggar's death, a criminal's death. See, our hero didn't strive to fulfill his power, gain power. He, he went to give it away. There's a story Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, often shares about this 1938 movie. It's called Angels with Dirty Faces. Some of you might remember that or you've been around that long, okay? And uh, sorry. And then, um, so it's this awesome movie about these, uh, these two guys, these two kids who grew up together. And one, um, one was a priest, one grew up to be a priest, and one grew up to be kind of like a mob criminal. The mob criminal, his name was Rocky, okay? So Rocky does all this crime and all this corruption. I mean, he's this like glorified mobster, gangster. He finally gets caught and his best friend, who's the priest, comes by and visits him at night. Now the priest had been working with these street kids and these street kids glorified Rocky. He was like, oh, this is the gangster. This is the criminal I want to be. This is the guy who spits in the face of authority. He sticks it to the man. He doesn't doesn't have a boss. These kids wanted to be like Rocky. And so the priest recognizes an opportunity to potentially change these kids' lives. And so he goes to Rocky the night before his execution. And this is what he says to them. Let me read this. He says, Rocky, I want you to let them down. You see, you've been a hero to these kids and hundreds of others all through your life. And now you're going to be glorified hero in death. And I want to prevent that, Rocky. They've got to despise your memory. They've got to be ashamed of you. But Rocky is unconvinced. You're asking me to pull an act, he says to the priest. You're asking me to turn yellow to those kids so so they think I'm no good. You ask me to throw away the only thing I got left. You ask me to crawl on my belly, the last thing I do in my life, nothing doing. You're asking too much. You want to help those kids, you got to think about some other way. So he refuses, but that night Rocky decides to change his mind. And as you watch the last clip of the movie, as he's being brought to the execution chair, 
Rocky cries like a little baby. He wounds and moans and cries and yells. And the great, big, bad Rocky, the paper said, died yellow. He died a coward. And the kids see that headline and they're crushed because their big, bad hero wasn't tough anymore. And you see, church, that's what Jesus did in a different way. He had the power. He had the prestige. He had the reputation. He had the glory. And yet he chose to shame himself so that you and I could prosper. The type of courage that we see is not the courage to gain power. The type of courage we should strive for is the type of courage to give away power, to be willing to be shamed, to be willing to be mocked so that others can prosper. And so what we see is that courage is this ability to kind of stick with your convictions in the spite of opposition. It comes from our champion, Jesus Christ. But then it leads us to this next question as well. What, as, as Christians, what should we be courageous about? What should we be courageous about? What are the things that are guaranteed um, won't, will not fail? And look at this passage. Um, let's look at verse 38. Let me just kind of explain. So after Peter gives kind of this, this big rah-rah speech of we're not going to obey you, we're going to obey God, you know, the Sanhedrin's ready to kill him. They're ready to persecute him, execute him on the spot. And then what's interesting is, is this Pharisee, who's not a Christ follower, speaks some of the most important truth in this passage. He says, guys, wait a second. There's been messiahs, you know, messiahs, people who've claimed to be God and they've had a movement, but when we kill them off, nothing, the movement dies. And so in verse 38, he says these wise words. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Underline that phrase, you will not be able to stop these men. See, some of us in here, we struggle with fear and we're kind of more security. Other of us, we're risk takers. But the problem with us is this, is that we're, we're courageous about the wrong things. And my guess in here, we could take a poll or a survey and we could all, you know, share stories of, of, of you know, stories of, of bravery where we kind of went out on a limb and it was like the dumbest thing we ever did, right? There's this story of this French inventor, um, his friend something, you can find this on, on YouTube though, for real, he made this jumpsuit, okay, this parachute and he, uh, basically you could like jump off you know, from a building, and the parachute would come out, and, and you would be safe. And so he would test the dummies from like a five-story building. And some of the dummies landed safely, and some of the dummies crashed and burned, right? But he kind of refined the suit, and he thought, okay, awesome, I've got the perfect suit. And so he petitions the French government, and he says, I want to practice, I want to jump off the Eiffel Tower with this suit, will you let me? And, it's, you know, they're the French, so they're like, yeah, go ahead, right? And, um, and so this guy gets to the top of the Eiffel Tower and his friends are begging him, dude, test it with the dummies first. And he's like, no, 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 I got this. This is, you know, foolproof. He jumps, it's winter by the way, he jumps off and he falls to the ground. And five, 
I guess it's not funny, but like he fell to his death and made an indent of like five and a half inches into frozen ground, okay? And you can find this on YouTube. Like people are watching and it's just like, ooh. It was courageous, but dumb, okay? <laughs> um, and the point that this Pharisee makes is so true, is that if it's from man, you're going to fail. But if it's from God, you're guaranteed success. You'll be fighting against God if you're opposed to it. Um, I remember going to a conference when I was uh, pastoring out in California. And someone invited me there, and I was really excited because I wanted to learn all these methods and these tools and these techniques um, to apply to the church so our church could grow. And I remember the speaker gets up there, and he says this. He says, um, if you have a plan, throw it out. The plan is to have no plan. I was like, what dingus is this guy? I'm paying money. To, I'm here to get a plan, and you're telling me not to have a plan? Like, you know, professors, right? And, uh, and then he starts talking. So I'm just getting angry. He's like, who is this guy? But this is what he says. He says, the problem with leaders and pastors and anybody is we make these plans in our offices. And we think what worked in California will work in Plano, and what works in Plano will work in, in D.C., and what works in D.C. will work in Iowa. And he says, that's not true. See, he says, instead of making your human plans, instead, discern where the Spirit of God is moving in your community, and then join in. Because if you discern, if you see where God is moving, and you join in, you're guaranteed success. You're guaranteed to prosper. And we know that. That's a promise. And so church, I want to challenge you to be courageous about the right things. To be courageous about the things that God is about. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then the rest will be taken care of. And, I, you know, and it made me start to think, like, okay, like, what, what's, I wish we could have enough time to just kind of study, like, okay, what's, what are, like, the guaranteed promises that, like, if we do this, we are guaranteed success. But as God just kind of, as I was kind of praying about this, God just spoke to me, and I just wanted to share this with you. You will be guaranteed success. You will not fail if you are committed to living by grace. And this is what I mean by that. When I was in Haiti last summer, we went to church. And we had our church clothes on. And then uh, we're hanging out with all the orphans. And then after church is over, we sit down with the orphans. And I see this baby without any clothes on, just walking around, wants me to hold him. I'm like, okay, I'll hold this cute little, you know, Haitian orphan baby. I put him on my lap. I'm like, you know, just kind of rocking him. And all of a sudden, I kind of smell something. And I just kind of like... And there was like this huge brown patty, like all on my leg. And I was like, drop the baby, right? You know? And then, and then I see it. And then the orphan kids see it. And they don't really know English. But I, and I didn't really know Creole, or is it Creole? Hey, Creole? Yeah, sorry. I didn't know their language. But I knew what they were saying. They were like, caca, caca, caca. 
Guys, it was the lowest of low to be made fun of by Haitian orphans, okay? I mean, and I was like, this is horrible. I'm like, what am I going to do? But this one kid, um, this one kid who knew English, he looked at me, didn't laugh, he didn't mock, he saw my, my situation, and he ripped off a piece of a blanket, dipped it in water, and just gave it to me. And I felt so loved by that. This eight, nine-year-old orphan teaching me grace. I had every right to be made. If I was a kid, I would make fun of that guy, right? And here's that kid showing me undeserved kindness. Church, when you are committed to being with people, not just in the peaks, but in the trenches, you will win over souls for the kingdom. Uh, my mom texted me the other day and said, David, do you need help packing? I was like, absolutely, okay? My wife is out in D.C. already. I'm doing this by myself. And, uh, but it was stressful. My mom comes over, and I kind of like wanted her help, right? But, you, you know, like you kind of want people's help, but then you don't want them help because they have to see your mess, right? You have to, they have to kind of see all your junk that you hoard and that you want to keep and all that stuff, right? And we have this one room in the office where we literally just throw stuff in there, close it, and just hope it goes goes away, right? Does anyone have like one of those rooms? It's just like, don't go in there. And so mom's like, what do you need help with? And I was like, well, that this room, right? And I show her the room and I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's going to judge me. She is judging me, right? She, it's like, I, I'm, I'm Cheryl's son. Like she didn't raise me to be this way, but my mom, she probably was thinking that, but she didn't say it. And what my mom did was just simply get in that room and spend a couple hours working through piece by piece. I had to run to the church yesterday afternoon. She sends me a picture of the office, and it's like immaculate. And I felt so loved because here was a person who entered into my mess and just said, hey, piece by piece, let's pick it up. I'm here. I'm with you in the trenches. And the reason our seniors have prospered is because of our leaders who've walked with them. Our group, we had our highs and our lows, didn't we? We had our dramas and breakups and divisions. And our leaders were there and said, we're not going to quit. We're going to show undeserved kindness through it all. And when you are committed to grace, the, the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You won't fail. You won't fail. That's real courage. And so then the question is, lastly, as we conclude, is, all right, how do we get this courage? How do we get it? Where does this come from? I mean, where, where do we get this courage? It's interesting. Look at verse uh, 41. Peter gives this amazing, brave speech. They, they flog him. They let him go. And this is their reaction. The apostles left Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Circle the name. See, they, they didn't have this like horrible, painful experience like, oh, you know, no pain, no gain. They had this horrible, terrifying experience, and yet they were rejoicing because they, of the name. Peter, Peter says in his speech earlier, he says, we are witnesses of it. 
See, they were able to rejoice not by looking at the opposition, but by looking at Jesus. Hebrews 12.1 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the archagos and perfecter of our faith, the champion of our faith, for the, who, for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, the reason they were able to be courageous is because they were fixing their eyes on Jesus, the true courageous one. Now, Jesus you know, a lot of people say, you know, if you, to be courageous, you need to block out the fear. You need to, you know, imagine yourself succeeding, tell, pump yourself up, tell yourself you can do it. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't in the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. No, he, he was real about his fear. He said, Father, take this cup from me. But what pushed him to the cross? Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him. You see, church, his joy outweighed his fear. And who, what was his joy? His joy wasn't knowing God more. He already knew his father. His joy was us. His joy of knowing us, of having a relationship with us, of forgiving us, of saving us, of redeeming us. It was that joy that helped him overcome his fear. And when you see Jesus overcoming his fear so that he can, can have the joy of knowing you for eternity, what happens? Your heart then is transformed. Your heart then is melted. Your heart is, is, has been transformed by grace. Do you guys remember the end of Braveheart? After the execution scene, he goes back to the army and they're here for battle, one last battle, and the army is discouraged, the army feels defeated, the army, it looks afraid, their leader is gone, and then that big burly dude takes out William Wallace's sword and throws it as far as he can, and it lands in the middle of the field, and the, cra the army remembers William Wallace. And they start chanting, Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. And as they remember the bravery that William Wallace had for them, they charged against the enemy. And in Hebrews it says, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Our Christian brothers and sisters who've gone before us are looking at us as we are in the battlefield of life, in the arena of life. And they are chanting, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and when you see Jesus storm the gates of hell so that we could be brought into heaven, when you see Jesus choose to enter into poverty so that we could experience the riches, when you see Jesus enter into suffering so that we could experience the joy, everlasting comfort, when you see Jesus being lost so that we could be found, that joy will override any fear that you have, any unknown. That joy will override cancer. It will override letting go of your kid. It will override the fear of owning your, your sin and admitting it. Jesus says, Romans 12, it says, in light of his mercy, offer your body as a sacrifice. It's the gospel. It's the love of Christ that fills our heart with wonder and courage. 
to fight the battles that he's called us to fight. Church, let's be courageous. Let us not stand on our own strength, on our own valor, valor or reputation. Let us stand on the power of Christ and look to him being courageous for us and we will be filled with courage. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, God, uh, we face the unknown. Some of us here are letting go of our kids, our students are about to enter college, some of us are moving away, some of us are facing things we never thought we would face, some of us are faced with fears of what's going to happen to us. And there's always that temptation, God, to compromise. It's always that temptation, God, to do what is easy rather than what is right. But God, I thank you that you did what was right and what wasn't easy. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And he rose again, defeating death. And because of his victory, we know we have victory. And if there's anyone in here today who's tired of fighting your battles of loan, who's try, tired of trying to muster up the strength, of trying to white-knuckle it, if there's anyone who's scared and you haven't given your life to Christ, you haven't let him fight your battles, you haven't followed the courageous one, would you do that today? Would you have the courage to make the best decision of your life? Would you just simply pray, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've fallen. I've, I admit that I've come up short, but I believe in Jesus Christ, the Prince and the Savior who died on the cross for my sins, who rose again, who fought the battle that I couldn't fight, which was sin and death. And I commit my life to you. If you had the courage to pray that prayer today, Paul says that anyone who believes in his heart and confesses in, with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you shall be saved. God, help us to be courageous. Help us to discern where your spirit is moving. Help us to be people who are committed to being gracious, even when it is not advantageous to us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.